are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Thursday, October 14th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. If you like what you're hearing today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It's all for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. If you go and follow right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right, good morning, everyone. As always, thank you so much for making Lockdown Blackhawks your first listen here this morning. On the show today, I'll be going over everything from the Blackhawks' 4-2 loss to the Colorado Avalanche in the season opener last night, all the stats from the box score, the key takeaways, all that good stuff. Uh, Then I'll be talking also about the latest update from general manager Stan Bowman on the current goaltender situation down in Rockford with both Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban clearing waivers earlier in the week. And then I'll finish things up today by revealing number two on my Blackhawks top 10 prospects list. Only two spots left now, and if you've been sticking with me throughout the entire revealing process, then I think you probably have a pretty good idea of who's going to be coming in at number one tomorrow and then number two later on here this morning. But to start things off here today, ladies and gentlemen, oh, excuse me, still early in the morning. Start things off here today, folks. Let's get into the Blackhawks' 4-2 loss to the hands of the Colorado Avalanche late last night. Don't you love staying up until midnight, 12.30 on a Wednesday to watch the Blackhawks lose? Isn't that just the best? Um, But really, even without superstar Nathan McKinnon in the lineup, the Avalanche offense still just proved to be too much for the Hawks' defense to handle. The real killer, though, for Jeremy Colleton's squad last night was the opening 10 minutes of the first period. I mean, that essentially right there was game set match uh, against a team as deep and skilled as Colorado. You can't afford to dig yourself that big of a hole early. Uh, And that's exactly what Colleton pointed to in his post-game presser is what killed the Blackhawks. And not only was it extremely disappointing to come out that flat, you know, with all the anticipation building up around this team and the excitement that's been uh, going on throughout all of training camp and the preseason, but it was actually just flat out embarrassing. I mean, midway through the first period, the Blackhawks were getting outshot 16-2 to at one point. Absolutely just flat out embarrassing and unacceptable. I mean, I know Colorado's a really good team and they're a Stanley Cup favorite for a reason. They're really deep. But that was just outrageous. And really, that's exactly how you lose a hockey game in the opening 10 minutes. Um, Not nearly a good enough start by the Blackhawks and that was really frustrating to see. Um, But getting into a quick breakdown of the three goals that the Avalanche scored in the first period. The first one... Uh, came about four and a half minutes in, and, and really, I don't even know what to say about this one here. Jake McCabe and Tyler Johnson collide in their own end. That gives Jack Johnson, of all people, 
uh, one of the two Johnsons also on defense for Colorado and one of three Johnsons in last night's game. Uh, but Tyler Johnson trips up Jake McCabe accidentally. Jack Johnson skates into the offensive zone with speed. All of a sudden, he's got a breakaway. And who knew that uh, he's got s- some nifty mitts in his bag. Beats Flurry with a, a, back, a forehand backhand maneuver to give Colorado the early one nothing lead. And it was really all downhill from, from there for the Blackhawks in the first half of the opening period. Second goal came less than a minute and a half later as a shot, uh, a shot from Eric Johnson at the blue line. Double ricochet, bounced off Nazem Kadri in front, and then pinballs off of Captain Gabriel Landeskog skating past Flurry to double the Avs' lead. So that one was kind of just an unlucky bounce. Um, but at the same time, the Hawks did get caught with their fourth line out there against the top line of Colorado, which certainly not a matchup that they favor, and that one wound up costing them. Um, the third goal, though, uh, after that, you know. Uh, after the after, even before that, really the the five to six minutes before Colorado scored that third goal, those that was the the hardest part of this game to watch. I mean, it it, re- it was like slap shot regatta out there for the Avalanche, and I felt so bad for Mark Andre Fleury in his Blackhawks debut because you know this isn't what he thought he he was signing up for when he decided to that he was going to suit up for the Blackhawks this season, and I know that. 10 minutes of one game isn't any sort of indication of how the rest of the season is going to go. But it was definitely, I'm sure, a little bit of a wake-up call for Flower and also a realization that, yeah, you're not in Vegas anymore, buddy. You might have some actual defensive issues in front of you. And on that third goal, that's exactly what we saw, and that was really the nail in the coffin, like I said earlier. And it came from an absolute bullet by Avalanche 2019 first-round pick Bowen Byram, and it was only fitting that Byram would score his first NHL goal against the Chicago Blackhawks, the same team that passed up on him a couple years back at number three in the NHL draft in favor of center Kirby Doc, which at the time was actually a huge surprise pick by the Hawks. Um, And I actually remember some people being angry about Kirby Doc being the selection, which really, really irked me. Uh, Most people thought that defenseman Bowen Byram or forward Alex Turcotte, the local Chicago kid, were the the two favorites to be the Blackhawks selection at number three. Wound up being Kirby Doc, and then Byram was the one to go next up at number four to Colorado. And of course... This comes back all around full circle, goes on to score his first NHL goal, blowing a shot past Flurry glove side to make it 3 to nothing avalanche. Pow. But this one for the Blackhawks, you know, was the goal to me that that highlighted the real issues that the defense had all night long. In transition, whenever Colorado was moving around with speed, the Blackhawks time and time again just had no idea what they were doing. You know, they, they'd get lost in coverage. They had no idea who was taking what man and, and where. And there were actually a couple of opportunities earlier in the first period where the Hawks defense were guilty of this, but were fortunate not to have the puck get put in the back of the net. They didn't get burned by it, but this time around, they did. Uh, and by the way, this was actually an absolutely all-around horrible play by Ryan Carpenter. He committed the turnover in his own zone and then, for some reason, decided to go to a Decided to go for a change with his team in the middle of a defensive rush. To be fair, I will say that 
when when Carpy went for the change, it initially just looked like a straight up two on two defensive situation for the Hawks, but they were slow to, to the bench for their change. And Byram actually, if you go and watch the replay, Byram came off the bench as well. He just happened to beat everyone to the far blue line and then displayed the shot that he has to beat Marc Andre Fleury. Three nothing Colorado, less than three minutes into the game. Just that's that was the problem with the Blackhawks all night long. Whenever Colorado was coming up the ice with a full head of steam, they just had no idea how to answer it. Fortunately, Marc Andre Fleury was there. Uh, to make a boatload of big stops, or else this one probably could have been uglier. Uh, but this time, he, he wasn't able to get the glove up. Uh, I'm not really going to blame him, though, as there was no one there to cover Bowen Byron, and they let him skate all the way down to the left circles before rifling off that wrist shot. And as I said, I mean, right there and then, that that's essentially all she wrote. Um... I will give the Blackhawks a lot of credit, though, because despite coming out so flat in those first 10 minutes and, and falling behind 3 to nothing, they did fight hard throughout the rest of the way and wound up making this thing decently close down the stretch. Uh, they finally uh, broke through for their first goal of the game later on in that first period on their first power play chance of the night. It was actually the second power play unit, though, that came through in the clutch uh, or, or and I shouldn't say in the clutch, I guess, came through on the man advantage. Um, Ian Mitchell, who's been the power play man on that second unit with Caleb Jones and Wyatt Kalanick both injured to start off the year, he set up Dominic Kubelik for the one-timer at the right circle and then, you know, give me all the Kubelik one-timers that I can get. He blasted it right through Darcy Kemper. Credit to Kirby Doc for a nice screen in front, and that cut the Blackhawks' deficit to 3-1 to in the final minutes of the first period. Um, and really, that's how it's got to be for that second power play unit. I think get to the dirty areas. Kirby Doc, credit to Kirby, got skated right into the offensive zone and immediately, boom, beelined it right for the front of the net. That's what we need out of you, buddy. You're six foot four. You're a big boy. Play like one. And he did right there on that play. And I think this whole second unit is going to be uh, uh, all about Dominic Kubelik and that one-timer and getting him open because once other teams realize that he's got an absolute clapper over there, they're going to have to start respecting that shot more and more. And like Jonathan Taze taking it to the net on the first power play unit, once Kubelik starts doing that more and more and once Taze starts doing that more and more, that's going going to open up all the passing lanes for all the other guys through that play in the future, so um, good to see that Kubalik started the year off hot with a, a beautiful power play goal, and I, I mean, if you're Jeremy Colleton, I think you got no choice but to start giving the second unit a little bit more ice time. I, I know it's hard to take Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinkit and all the big-name guys off the ice with the man advantage, but um, if you can't fit Kubalik on that first unit, then you, I think you got to start giving the second unit a little bit more time because it's just a complete waste to not utilize that one-timer of his effectively. So, nice goal there by Kubi to give the Blackhawks some much-needed energy late in the opening frame. And then in the second period, I mean, man, they had their chances to get this thing knotted up. More specifically, Kirby Doc had his chances to knot this thing up. Two breakaway chances for Doc in just a matter of minutes. Unfortunately, though, both were stopped by Darcy Kemper. And then, of course... Immediately after the second one, Colorado comes right back down the ice. The Blackhawks get beaten transition once again. 
and Nazem Kadri stuffs one past Flurry. That was probably the only bad goal of the night allowed by Marc Andre Flurry. Uh, but that made it 4-1 to one with under four minutes to go in the second period, and that really sucked out all the life that the Hawks had left in them heading into the third period. Again, I will give them credit, though, because they fought hard to the last minute, and they actually, in the final 40 minutes of this game, they outshot Colorado 26-18. to 18. Um, And Connor Murphy, he scored a garbage time goal, garbage time goal that made it 4-2 to two late in the third, but it was just simply too little too late for the Blackhawks. And again, it all comes back to that poor start in the opening 10 minutes of the game. After getting outshot 16-2 at one point in the first period, the Hawks outshot the Avs 32-20 in the final 45-50 to minutes or so. Uh, And I know that they still got outchanced at even strength, and and the only thing that matters ultimately is the final outcome. Um, But there still were plenty of positive takeaways from this season opener for the Blackhawks, and I, I honestly believe better days are coming here for this team despite losing 4-2 to two and coming out a little bit flat to the Colorado Avalanche in their season opener. All right, there's a recap of the Blackhawks matchup with Colorado last night. Coming up in just a minute, I'm going to talk about some of those positive takeaways that I just mentioned and also some negative takeaways as well. But first, I need to talk to you all about betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And be sure to use our promo code LOCKDOWN, one word in all caps, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Major League Baseball has reached October. Playoff baseball is the best type of baseball. There's a big game five between the Dodgers and Giants tonight. NFL and college football both are now in the midst of their seasons as well. We're starting to figure out who are the top teams at each level. The UFC has some incredible fights coming up in the next month, a couple of really good title fights, and also, most importantly, hockey season is back. So for any sport you want to gamble on, you can get all the latest news, odds, and info with Bet Online. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. It's the best way to place your bets and it's also free to sign up, so don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Head on over to the website, or you can also use your mobile device to sign up today. And be sure to use our exclusive promo code LOCKDOWN, that's one word in all caps, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Getting into segment two on the show, I also wanted to be sure to talk about all the box score stats and also some key takeaways for the Blackhawks from last night's contest. First and foremost, though, I talked about his performance a little bit earlier already, but Kirby Doc, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, the kid is blossoming right in front of our very eyes here. Uh, I know he squandered both of his breakaway chances in the second period, and those really felt like make-or-break moments in the game for the Blackhawks. But all in all, I mean, for being 20 years old and to be the best player on the ice for the Hawks last night, along with guys like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Alex DeBrinkett, Seth Jones, there's a lot of good players on this team now. And for the 20-year-old Kirby Doc to be the best one in the season opener, you know, for one, that also goes to show how much the offense struggled last night. But it also goes to show you how special Kirby Doc already is at his young age. He had five shots on goal to lead the Blackhawks, also won three of his five face-offs, provided a great screen in front of Darcy Kemper on Kubelik's power play goal, 
And, and maybe the most impressive part to me was his physicality. I thought, you know, he didn't shy away from contact one bit. He seems to be 100% healthy, very confident in his game. And he himself actually threw out a couple of booming hits on his own too, which we haven't seen too often from Doc in the past so far. And that's just, to me, it's nice to see that when he does that, he I think he's just starting to get more and more comfortable in that big frame of his. Again, let's not forget, Kirby Doc is six foot four. He's still a little bit skinny. He's right around 200 pounds, but that number only should go up and should only get larger and larger as the years go on. And he was drafted to be an NHL power forward. That's why the Blackhawks drafted him. They loved that combination of size and skill. Um, and he's, he's really starting to show some flashes uh, of, of being a real dominant power forward here potentially in the near future. A very strong performance out of Kirby Doc and the Hawks lost late last night. One other key takeaway I had from the game last night is that other than Kirby Doc, the Blackhawks' penalty kill actually might have been the best part of the game for them, which is hilarious after struggling all season, uh, all preseason long, excuse me. The PK somehow managed to go 4-for-4 four four last night against a very dangerous Colorado Avalanche power play, even without Nathan McKinnon in the lineup. They still got Kale McCarr. They still got Mika Rantanen, Gabriel Landis-Cog. Uh, they got some dangerous left-handed shots on the on the left side. Um, so not only you know was it impressive that the PK went four for four and um, probably have had their best performance together so far, but they also recorded three scoring chances of their own while they were shorthanded, and that goes to show the impact of having forwards like Kirby Doc and also Alex it out there on the penalty kill unit. And I've talked about it on the show a bunch in the past few weeks, but there was an in- an increased focus during training camp for the Blackhawks on Kirby Doc and Alex Dabrinkit's role on the penalty kill unit. That was something that Jeremy Colleton was adamant about adamant about, and, and clearly wanted those two to be working on during camp. And it paid off nicely for the Hawks last night in Game 1. A huge surprise was that penalty kill not only killing off uh, all four of the Avs' power play opportunities, but also creating some pretty good chances uh, for themselves as well, offensively, while shorthanded. And then one other takeaway that uh, I hadn't mentioned yet, I haven't really talked about this guy yet at all, Um, even though it was a quiet night for Jonathan Taze offensively, the the captain still did a lot of good work. He won 16 of his 24 faceoffs. He had two shots on goal, was sturdy defensively in his 17 minutes of 15 seconds of time on ice. And while 17, when you see 17 minutes and 15 seconds for Johnny at first glance, you're like, well, what kind of happened there? You know, he's a guy who's usually well above 20. First off, let's not forget this was his first game of action in over 400 days. And also, Jeremy Colleton split up the forward lines pretty evenly in terms of time on ice. The top three forward lines, I should say, were split up pretty evenly. Taze finished with just over 17 minutes. Kane and Dabrinkit had around 19. Kubalik, Hagel, and Kirishev all finished in the 16 to 15 minute area. Um, and for Taves, you know, again, his first game of action, first real, uh, real game action in over 400 days. It's been 19 months since he last played a, an actual game. And for that being the case, I, I thought he looked really good for the most part. I know it, that whole line uh, um, of him, Kubalik and Kershev, really didn't do much. Uh, but Johnny, I thought the conditioning looked really good. The speed was fine. 
and especially at the faceoff dot, it's pretty clear so far that Taves hasn't skipped a beat at all in that department. But now, getting into some of the underwhelming performers of the night, again, as it's been the case, or as it was the case, excuse me, throughout the preseason, it's the Blackhawks' defense mostly, ladies and gentlemen. Jake McCabe had a handful of bad turnovers and bad decisions. Again, those were issues that plagued him during the preseason as well. Um, Calvin DeHaan, I thought, wasn't at his best. Neither was Riley Stillman, even though we did see Stills throw his weight around a couple of times and had an absolutely massive hit on Darren Helm. Um, And then Seth Jones, too, you know, for the money we're paying him, certainly didn't play like a number one defenseman out there. He had bad analytical numbers. He was one of the worst on the team in that department. Uh, The Blackhawks were largely outchanced when he was on the ice. And he just, he needs to be smoother with the puck on his stick, especially in the defensive zone for what we're paying him and what we gave up to get him. But at the same time, one game, let's not lose sight. It was only the season opener for the Blackhawks. But that's something, uh, that's a conversation that's going to be more and more adamant if Jones and also Jake McCabe aren't able to pick up their play as things go on. And, and really, the one area that I have to mention, the biggest area that the Blackhawks need to work on, as I talked about earlier, is preventing high-danger chances at even strength. The Blackhawks, they had no answers for Colorado in transition. In the, in the latter half of the game, though, you know, I gave them a lot of credit. They ended up outshooting Colorado 32-40, uh, to 40 and as I said, in those final 45 minutes or so and played a whole lot better than they did in the first half of the first period. But in total, if you go and look at, uh, according to Natural Stat Trick, they were still outchanced 33-15 to 15 at even strength and 10-3 to 3 in high-danger chances. So really... The underlying problems on defense were still present for the Blackhawks in Game 1, even though they made a ton of off-season acquisitions in order to try and shore things up in that, in that area. And in total, the Blackhawks had an expected goals percentage of 29.43 at 5-on-5 five five last night, which, if you go back in the data, out of their 56 games last year, that would have been their fifth worst. And as we know all too well. The Blackhawks defense was arguably the worst in the entire NHL last season, so not good to hear that they were once again in the same boat uh, and struggled just as bad, even with um, Seth Jones and Jake McCabe being in the lineup. That's something they really are going to have to focus on going forward, Uh, and definitely was a bit discouraging to see them struggle that much at even strength last night. Another quick detail that I wanted to touch on real fast, by the way, this one doesn't have anything to do with the game, though, last night. Um, Right before the contest, general manager Stan Bowman had a press conference, and during that conversation, he he talked about um, the organization and what they have kind of come to a a decision upon and what they intend to do with both Calendelia and Malcolm Subban being in the AHL at this point. And it was actually a little bit surprising to me. Bowman, he first off started by saying that he, they, the team has really liked what they've seen out of over Arvid Soderblom at this point. And um, despite, you know, how either Delia or Subban feel about being in the AHL, they're going to give Soderblom his looks with the Ice Hogs, but they're also going to keep both of those two guys around as well for the moment. That's their intention. And, I, you know, I personally don't really see the point of doing that. 
I know not, especially Colin Delia is going to be super frustrated that he's not going to be playing really. I, I can't imagine he's going to be playing all that often, splitting time as a, a three-headed monster, I guess, if you will, with the Ice Hogs. Um, but at the same time, with both those guys clearing waivers, kind of indicating that there really wasn't any interest at all from another NHL club, it's hard to picture a, a trade being all that likely at this point, unless the Blackhawks are willing to sweeten the pot. And <laughs> with this being a, a situation with third-string netminders, you know, I'm not really sure that they want to go that route either. So kind of in between a, a rock and a hard place right now for the Blackhawks with their goaltender situation. And it looks like that they just kind of accepted that the log jam is ultimately their their only option at this point. You know, even though... It's probably not in the best interest of either Colin Delia or Malcolm Subban's respected. Uh, it's not at their. It's not in their best interest at this point of their respected careers. Uh, the Blackhawks really don't have any other option, and it seems like both those guys are kind of just going to waste away in the AHL for at least the start of the regular season. All right, that takes care of all the stats and takeaways that I wanted to mention from last night. Coming up in just a minute, it's time to reveal number two on my Blackhawks top 10 prospects list. But first, I need to talk to you all about rockauto.com. Rock Auto is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even as much as 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or at a new car dealership. Chain stores and car dealerships have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're always reliably low. The rockauto.com catalog is also remarkably unique and super easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and you can even choose the brands, specifications, and the prices that you prefer. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts when you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts that you'll ever need for your car or truck for the best possible prices. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Moving on now into segment three on the show today. Before I let you all go, I still have to announce number two on my Blackhawks top 10 prospects list. First, per usual, just as a quick recap and reminder, coming in at number 10 was forward Landon Slagert of the University of Notre Dame. Number nine and number eight were defenseman Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. He came in at number nine, and Alex Vlasic was number eight from Boston University. Number seven was forward Evan Barrett, currently of the Rockford Icehogs. Number six was a tie between forwards Mackenzie Entwistle and Mike Hardman, two guys who had the start of their NHL career tied together. Number five was 2020 second-round pick Drew Comesso. Number four was defenseman Alec Regula, who's currently on injured reserve with a back injury. Number three was also another defenseman yesterday, this one being a former first-round pick of the Blackhawks back in 2018 in Nicholas Bodan. And now, coming in at number two on the show here today, ladies and gentlemen, we have yet another defenseman for the Blackhawks. This one, the 2017 second-round pick from the University of Denver, Ian Mitchell. And Mitchell's someone who's been 
on a lot of the Blackhawks top 10 prospects list over the years ever since being drafted. Last year though was finally his first at the professional level after three years with Denver. Served as the team's captain last year uh, during his final year as a junior by the way. Um, But yeah last year Mitchell finally got his first crack at the NHL and I don't want to say it was a disappointing performance, but it probably wasn't up to the level that not only a lot of people, but probably even the Blackhawks were hoping for. Uh, A lot of folks felt Mitchell was going to come right in and play an immediate impact for this team, and that just wasn't the case last season. But I want to remind everyone, that's entirely all right. You know, of course it would have been awesome for Mitchell to already be a big-name defenseman and to come in and be a stud right away. But at 21 years of age, I know he was a second-round pick, so there are some high expectations, but that doesn't mean, you know, year one was do or die for the kid in the NHL. It's still about the long-term process here, folks. In total, Mitchell recorded just seven points in his 39 games of action for the Hawks, three goals and four assists. But more importantly, the, the thing that he real struggled with was just defending grown men at his young age, and he really had some problems overall in the defensive zone over over the course of the season, and that's what ultimately led to Mitchell either being on the taxi squad for most of the second half or to him starting to get some games in the AHL with the Rockford Icehogs, although Mitchell only played five games with uh, Rockford last year. In a normal season, I think he would have gotten a lot, a lot more. You know, I, th- I do believe that the taxi squad, I'm sure, did him some benefits practicing, every day with the NHL guys and kind of learning how to be a pro at that level. But I think a full season, maybe not a full season, but a huge chunk of the year down in Rockford probably would have done him a little bit better. You know, getting some more real game action with the Ice Hogs, even though, you know, he was around the NHL guys. Game action, I think, is the most important thing, especially for young guys trying to piece it all together. Um, and once the Blackhawks get a little bit healthier on defense, I do expect that to still be the plan for Ian Mitchell. I do think he's going to get some more time in the AHL eventually, unless, you know, he he shows enough right now in these first games to open up the year to to convince the the Blackhawks front office otherwise, but I, I think it's... It's going to take a lot in order for that to be the case. But I will give Mitchell credit. You know, he's off to a good start. He got a primary assist on Dominic Kubalik's power play goal last night. But if you look at some of the underlying numbers, Mitchell finished the game with just barely over eight minutes of ice time. So, yeah, if I had to guess, it would probably be Rockford for him once Wyatt Kalanuck gets back to being fully healthy. And we may even see... Eric Gustafson sometime soon as well, once he figures out his current paperwork issues that he's dealing with. Um, But on the offensive side of things for Mitchell, this is kind of where I want to start with him. Uh, As we saw last night, he's going to be a focus on the power play unit going forward. He's already seeing time on the second unit. That's really why he's in the lineup right now with Kalanuck and Caleb Jones out. The offensive part of his game is the bread and butter for Ian Mitchell. Like Nicholas Bodan, I don't think... That's really that part of the game is really a worry for the Blackhawks right now. I will say um I'd like to see a little bit more out of Ian Mitchell's shot from the blue line. We didn't really see much out of that in his first NHL season. But as for, you know, the, the overall hockey IQ in the offensive zone along with his passing ability, um those are the things that 
he already does really well, and though that's why he's uh, already capable of manning an NHL power play unit at this point in his career. And also in transition, um, Mitchell, he's a little bit different than Nicholas Bodan, where Bodan's uh, probably the better skater of the two, but I think Mitchell's probably the better breakout player in terms of first pass ability and also knowing how to read read the game in front of him. Um, again, I don't I don't think those things are a worry really right now for the Blackhawks. Um, I think they know that those are the parts of Ian Mitchell's game that are going to develop just fine over the years once he gains a little bit more experience. But like Nicholas Bodan. The only concern for Ian Mitchell's future, real, all of them really stem from his issues in the defensive zone. And again, like Bodan, he's another smaller frame defenseman. Mitchell's five foot eleven and only around 175, 180 pounds. So he's probably never going to be an overly physical blue liner. Um, but what he needs to do is he needs to learn how to survive in his own end, and he can't let this lack of size be the thing that holds him back from being really good because there's a lot to be excited about offensively and with his abilities and transition. And I said this about Nicholas Bodan on this show yesterday too, but it's not like Mitchell, he doesn't have to be the best defenseman to get the job done in the NHL. You know, I think he's always going to be more of an offensive minded guy, but that, you know, you have to have some defensive game in order to survive. So I think he's either going to have to, you know, um, he's either got to work on his ability to not get caught in bad positions in his own end. He's got to work on his smarts. He's just got to outthink everybody else if he's not going to have the size or he's going to have to put on some serious weight because right now, you know, the decisions, they have to happen so quickly at the NHL level and they're just not being made fast enough right now in my opinion and he's just kind of leaving himself out to dry due to those bad decisions so if if he can clean up that end of his game and and just become serviceable like I said with Nicholas Bodan too you know the Hawks they have other guys locked up who are more of the sturdy defensive defenseman type and they got Jake McCabe Connor Murphy hopefully Seth Jones will be able to figure it out here in Chicago um and then you know there's also uh Riley Stillman and a bunch of the more rugged defensive defensemen that are coming through the system in the next couple of years. And that's going to allow Mitchell to eventually play to his offensive strengths. He's just got to figure it out and become more serviceable in the defensive zone than he is right now. But again, folks, you know, don't let this sort of, if you will, discouraging start to Mitchell's NHL career. Don't let that keep you down on his future because He's still only 22 years old. He's already shown us that he's got a lot to offer offensively. He's played in nearly half of a full 82-game season already at a young age, so he's just starting to gain some real prime experience. And again, clearly there's already a lot of skill there. It's just now about figuring out how to put it all together and how to use all of the tools that he has to his advantage at the NHL level. And if he does that, then there definitely is first to second pairing upside with Ian Mitchell in the future and that's why he comes in at number two on my Blackhawks top 10 prospects list 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that will wrap up Thursday, October 14th episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Fantasy Hockey podcast as host Scott Cullen leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to go and check out Lockdown Fantasy Hockey right now wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Strictly Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode... Thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.